morning once again. For those of you who may have missed me earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at DCC, and today we are continuing a series we're calling You're Not the Boss of Me, and we love autonomy. Uh, we pursue it. We want uh, to be individual. We want to be able to be on our own and pursue this in our life in many different ways, and so because of that, we look at other people who we think have, they got it, they, got, they, they, they have autonomy, they're financially unburdened, or, or they, they're leading uh, in their, in their uh, perspective fields, and they have the ability to make all the decisions, and then we look at the decisions that they're making, and we say, how could they make this decision, or they blow it, or they do something that's just awful? Should I switch mics, by the way? I'm going to switch mics. <laughs> all right, give me just a second. Okay. All right. Whoa. All right. We have we have hot mics all over the place today. So there we go. So people we look at we that we think are autonomous in their lives. They can make all the decisions and then they blow it. And we say, how could they do that? When I am in that position, that won't be me. I will not be that person. I'm gonna make the right calls. Well, I would say that's that may be true. That may be true for you. But if that is going to be true in our lives, there are things that we must do and there are things that we must know. And it has to do with our heart. We focus so much on our abilities and, and our technical expertise and everything else. And we, we look past the impact our heart has on our lives. Uh, when I was back in college, this is a, a, a very minor thing that happened to me that helped illustrate a bigger part of today's conversation. But I was in college and I had this tiny car and it worked. It was it was fine, but it just had. I needed to upgrade the stereo so I'd actually listen to the media that I had. And so I had this unit that I wanted to install in my car, and uh, and so I, I was. I didn't know how to do it, but uh, through a conversation, a guy that I knew that I was friends with but didn't really hang out with heard me talking about it, and he's like, "I know how to do that, and I would love to help you." And so he helped me. We got into this tiny car in the heat of the summer. And uh, he just spent a good amount of his time to just simply help me get this installed. And I've been really thankful for that. It was just being a good friend. Even though we didn't know each other that well, it was a great, friendly thing to do. And so fast forward you know, quite a while later, I don't know, like you know, weeks or months later, uh, just walking through campus, and I see my friend. There's the guy, and we pass each other, say hello. Well, he's actually was putting up flyers. He's running for like... I don't know, to be president of the student body or something along those lines. And so he's campaigning. And I'm on my way to get some lunch and then go to class afterwards. And he's like, can you help me? And it wasn't like in light of that incident. It was completely separate time. He's like, I just need some help putting up flyers. Do you think you could help me right now? And selfishly, I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I've got to get to lunch and then, and then class. But and later I thought through it, if I was honest, I did, I did have time. I had some flexibility. I could have helped him out a little. It was a chance for me to love him in that moment like he had loved me, essentially, earlier in that time. And I remember I, I said no. And I moved on. And, and, and as I reflected on that, I felt, immediately felt awful. I felt guilty. There was something in our relationship status or transaction that was at a loss for me. And so, you know, life moves on. This is one thing that just happened, you know. And he eventually, I think, transferred actually out of the college, like a lot of people do, and just life happens. And so fast forward many, many years later, maybe not many, but a couple, several years later, uh, I'm in New York. I'm working at a church. I'm in Manhattan. And our church, you know, there was another church actually using our church space. I just happened to be in the space working at the time. And they were holding some event there. 
And lo and behold, right in front of me was this friend from way back in college. It was a completely different state, different city, everything. And here we were suddenly in front of each other again, a very New York moment, right? You just, this, the big city becomes a small world. And we're like, oh, how you doing? What are you doing? And so we're re- reconnecting. And what is the first thing that I think of that pulls up in my heart It's this interaction that he's completely forgotten, has no idea about, probably doesn't even remember that he even asked me to help him put the flyers. But that's what I think of in this moment. Years ago, something that really didn't matter. I didn't hurt him or harm him. But somewhere deep in my heart, I remembered this kind of loss of interaction. And so there's something that happens in us where we remember things where if we've We've hurt somebody or let them down. We, we know that. And we dream sometimes of just, what's the, could we just not have that consequence? In fact, have you ever read surveys? Like, you know, people are asked, what would you do if you knew you could get away with it or there were no consequence? Like, the answers are awful. <laughs> it's horrible what we think of, and it's actually kind of terrifying. And so just as an experiment today, I'm just going to have you guys turn to the neighbor next to you, you know, people maybe maybe met or not before, and ask this question to each other, or answer this question, what would you do if you knew you could get away with, no, I'm just kidding, we're not going to do that, we don't ever ask you to do that here, number one, we actually, I, we do not want to know the answer to that, and you certainly do not want to give that answer, why? Because, like, we know the consequences of actually having our heart exposed, and we've already put it up here, but there's, we'll talk about guilt in a little bit. But our hearts are exposed in those moments. And, there, and if we actually reveal what we're thinking, we know the consequences of that. That's why we say stuff like, oh, I slipped up. I don't know where that came from. I, you know, I'm sorry. Like, we, we accidentally let it out. Uh, so we know what happens when we actually expose our hearts. So life teaches us, culture around us teaches us to monitor and edit our actions. We work on monitoring our behavior. We edit how we respond to things. If we're angry at someone, we don't say it out loud usually. We just go and vent to our roommate or our spouse or whoever it may be. We're just like, oh, can you believe that? And you're like, we, we monitor when we do things. But we actually are never taught to monitor our hearts to monitor our hearts. And worse than that, our culture steps forward and says, no, you should follow your heart. You should actually, you know, just follow wherever your heart leads you. But the issue there is our heart doesn't always lead us in the right directions. So Jesus had this to say about our hearts. And this is phenomenal teaching that is really the foundation of the series. This is found in Matthew 15 and his written account of Jesus' life and his teachings. And Jesus says this. He says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And we read this scripture a couple weeks ago, and, and it was done kind of in a joking way, and he was just trying to get everybody on the same page. And they were actually in this discussion about what makes you bad with God, what makes you on the outskirts with him. And, and they were all about the rituals and what they did to make them be good. And so Jesus is like, okay, you know, it, they, they focused on what they ate and all these different things. He's like, don't you get it? Like, do you eat something bad or whatever it may be? Like, it, it's eventually just going to come out. And then you just, the next day, you just 
We start all over again. So everybody's like, okay, we got that. We understand that. Yeah, we know. Okay. And so he says that. And then he says this. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the, the heart. So he's saying what you say, they come from the heart. And these defile them. This word defile is, is kind of like a religious, it was a religious phrase and term, meaning uh, essentially that you're at odds with God or at odds with others. So he helps us understand this better. He continues, he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, and slander. He's like, this, this is what defiles our relationships. This is what puts you at odds with God. This is what puts you at odds with others. When you treat others horribly, they come out of your heart. The things that you say, it shows who you are. And so this, this explains why we, you know, we read this all the time in articles, or you've seen this in the examples of your life, where someone who, who's like seemingly the nice, nice person or just kind of keeps to themselves or just seems normal, that all of a sudden they do something awful. They do horrific things. And what's one of the quotes that almost always comes out? Well, they seem like such a nice person when you're reading this article. And you're like, they seem like a decent person, this neighbor. Like, and all of a sudden they do something awful. So you're dating someone, and, and every, on occasion, just something just blurts out, and they're like, oh, I don't know where that came from. It's just out of character. But if this keeps happening, especially if they're under pressure, you should probably pay attention. Pay attention to that. Because we know that was somewhere in them. And maybe we deny it, but you know whatever you messed up saying or you accidentally said you just didn't mean to say it out loud. Jesus knows and helps us understand this comes from our heart. And so we should heed this advice. And we should heed the advice we see throughout Scripture. We listen to these words from Solomon. This is found in Proverbs 4.23. This is someone who's incredibly wise, built an incredible kingdom, was, was, was so good about business and, and faith and everything. One of the wisest people I've ever led. His advice to us is, he says, above all else, above everything else, guard your heart. Why, why should we do that? Why? For everything you do flows from your heart. Everything you do flows from it. What's in here, I've got too many things in my hand, but what's in here eventually comes out others. You can't ultimately keep it in. And those that are closest to you are the ones that experience this. What, what's in your heart eventually comes out. So guarding our hearts, guarding our hearts really involves two things. And this is what we're pursuing in this series. And, it's, and one is just understanding that there are toxins. There are things in our heart that we need to clear out, as well as the second thing is guarding our hearts, putting boundaries in place that keep this from happening, understanding how critical this is. When we see people blow it and fail in life, it hardly ever has to do with their technical abilities. It's usually because of a moral failure. Something they did that had nothing to do with their job, 
their heart, just let them down. And so this is what we want to pursue in this series. And today I want to begin to talk about, uh, you saw it earlier, one that is especially debilitating, and it's guilt. Guilt is something, and you probably really never think about this, but guilt is something that, that sets us up for failure relationally, professionally, and financially. It has such a, a, an enormous ability to impact your life. Guilt is essentially the, associ- the emotion associated with acknowledging we've done something wrong. And this is why it's so powerful, because acknowledging we've done something wrong is one of the hardest things for you and I to do. It affects us on a very deep level. It creates a lot of fear. And there's a lots of types of guilt and things. You know, there's false guilt where you, where you feel guilty about things, but you're actually not at all. But today, I want to really focus on the guilt where things we've done, things that you have done, things that I have done that have hurt others. You know, I've talked about it in a kind of a very, you know, almost frivolous, small thing, but just to help illustrate it in a very deep level when we really blow it or hurt someone. We have guilt that we carry that, you know, is so bad that sometimes you don't even feel the emotion of it. But every once in a while, your past, what, something you've done, it looms large in your life. And we just want to shove that down. We want to find a way to forget it. And so we create narratives. We retreat to things in our lives where we, we tell ourselves, you know, hey, this wasn't your fault or this, this happened and it wasn't really something that you needed to do and try to find something. Or you've wronged somebody and you can't let it go and you just wish that you could and so you rehearse it over and over in your mind. And if you're not careful, those moments begin to define you. They lead you into fear or they keep you from engaging things. And so we do whatever we can to deny it or if it defines us, begins to, to, you know, to direct the narratives of our lives, those things actually empower guilt. And this is so important, and I'm, I'm continually learning these principles. It's why I love talking about it, because guilt is something that has impacted my life in a great way, just because of my background and how I was raised. But it empowers guilt. When we try to shove it down, it actually makes it more powerful, and suddenly it becomes the boss of your life. It's the one, it's the thing that's calling the shots, and it throws you off balance. You don't feel like you can keep up, and it's leading you in a way that's hard to live by, and so it becomes your boss. So why is that? Why is guilt so powerful that it leads our lives and becomes the boss of you? Well, here's why, and this is something that you know you experience, you say this, you talk about it, but you've probably never really thought about it, you know, concretely this way. But guilt creates a debt-debtor relationship. There's something between you and others where someone is in debt to you, you're either debtor or you're in debt to them because of what you said or some experience or something that has happened. And so it happens between ourselves, just personally with you, the own standards that you create for your life, and with other people. So every act of wrong against someone else is essentially like an act of theft. You've taken something from them, or they've taken something from you. 
And so we've created terminology around this. Just think about phrases that you and I, we say. We say, um, we say oh, I owe her an apology. Did you hear that? I owe her an apology. Oh, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I, I owe that to her. You are in debt to someone. Or something happens, and you're like, man, I don't know how I can make it up to them. And some things are really hard. You feel like it's so broken. You feel like the debt can never be repaid. And some people do that. They love, I mean, essentially every soap opera or good relational drama movie is centered around the fact that, oh, you crossed that line. You, you did something. I know that. And so now you're in debt to me. Don't, you know, you got to do something for me. If you, if you say that or if you don't do this, I'm going to let them know what you, I know what you did last summer, right? <laughs> like you're suddenly in debt to someone. And they hold it over you. Maybe you've done that with other people. We're really good about that in our culture to kind of get the upper hand. What's interesting is we don't actually experience this as a debt. You don't really actually think about that. What we experience guilt as is a weight. It's a weight. You, you, you feel it, you actually feel the weight, and it throws us off balance. And this weight that's with you, it affects everything, from your relationships to how you, how you, you know, work in your, in your profession. If you're a parent, it affects your parenting, how you engage with your own parents or your roommates or relationships that you're a part of. It affects everything. And that's why... When you can get rid of it, when guilt is gone, you actually feel lighter. So again, using the terminology, right, common to us, what do we say? You're like, oh, I feel like a weight has been lifted off of me. It's like you're, you know, you're giving a presentation to your job, and you say something weird, or you say something about a coworker, and you're like, oh, that didn't sound right, and you're worried that you offended them. And so you go to this person after the meeting's over, you're like, man, I'm sorry, I'm not, I didn't mean to say that in that way, and, and it'll be like, oh, I don't. I, got, I was following you. Yeah, that, didn't, that made sense. It was no big deal. I didn't think of that at all. And then you're like, oh, like you're like, I feel so much lighter. You're so worried. I feel like a weight has been lifted off of me. You actually feel that. So the problem is, is when guilt leads our lives and we can't get rid of it, it's still there with us. That weight, it carries with you. And we, we wish that we could find ways to move on from our past, that it wasn't there. But no matter what you do, it's with you. And so you carry it. So some decision you made in your job, you come home. And if, you're, if you have a family or you have your little kids, that weight carries with you. And you express it through the frustration that's still there. There are things that you do. You take it into the next season of your life. You try to move on. You try to change cities or jobs. But it travels with you. What's interesting is about guilt, it also has a, re- a direct relationship with anger. They both work together. And the more that you try to shove it down, the more angry you become. And that's what a lot of anger actually stems from in our life. You're angry with yourself. You're angry with others. And anger always leaks. Anger is impossible to keep down. 
I mean, I just being honest, just being normal human, like this happens with, with my kids. Like I'll suddenly be frustrated with them and be like, I wish you wouldn't do that or just stop, stop doing those things. And I have a moment of frustration and they're just trying to be kids. And anger leaks. There's something happening and it always impacts the people closest to you. Guilty people rarely are able to make this connection. And I'm so thankful for teaching and, and just in, in our modern world how we are beginning to understand these things in a deeper levels. That the failures in our life, they go to the deepest parts of our hearts. So even the, the it seems like the dumbest, the simplest of things, like just some random interaction on a guy in a campus in college, like, I don't forget that. Some of you are like, maybe you should go to Kansas. <laughs> but, but what about the things that really do matter? They go to the deepest part of us. But then suddenly you can see everybody else's failures. <laughs> and you get angry. And so there's no recourse for us. We can't undo. We can't unsay things, right? You can't unleave any situation. You can't be un, unfaithful to someone. You can't undrink or unwork too much that you're not around your family. You can't bring these things back. You can't get these, these you know, the time back. If, if you've ever seen the Marvel movie, um, Doctor Strange, I'm a big fan of the Marvel, the Marvel series, and I'm not going to ruin anything, but they, these movies have been out for a while already. So, But uh, in, in the Doctor Strange, the whole movie is about time. And it's a fascinating story, and for some reason, I never really knew that story at all, so I watched it much later on. But anyway, it's about time. And one of the things they do in the movie is, like, they, they have the Infinity Stone, which some of you are like, okay, good to know. But, um, but this thing controls time in the universe, and they're actually learning how to dial it back. And so there's a physical thing that they actually see, and it's probably good for the movie, but but because they would look weird just doing their hair, but they turn this thing, and they've developed this magic around this stone that allows them to actually undo evil things in time. And we just long for that ability. There's something in us. Is we, I wish we could turn that back, but we actually don't have the ability to undo these things. Your past, your past, was, wasn't designed to be left behind. And what's so hard for us to do is if we admit it, if we bring this guilt out in front of us, we feel condemned. So when we refuse to face our guilt, we're doing it for a good reason, right? Because you feel condemned. You can't Undo it. The past wasn't designed to be left behind. And this is the beauty of, of Jesus. It's not just his teaching. Because if, if, if Jesus was just, if, his, if he was just a good teacher, then when, when he died, it would have, the entire movement would have been because he did, everything that he said was dependent upon him. It's why his followers lost their faith at his death. But his resurrection showed us something completely different. His death came to take our condemnation. And this is crucial, crucial when it comes to understanding guilt. 
and actually finding freedom. We don't know how to get past condemnation. And God knew that. So he came to be condemned for us in our place so that we could actually be free. The Apostle Paul says this best, I think. And if there's anybody that should feel condemned and that did feel condemned, it would have been Paul. Paul is someone who cared, carried a weight probably greater than any of us here today combined. He had more regret than any of us. And probably, I would say, all together. He heard the cries of men and women. He had arrested and probably and he even had executed. He was a religious zealot. He was actually pursuing Christians, trying to snuff out the faith. And then, in an amazing story, he became one. He became a Christ follower. But that didn't change his past. Those things would have haunted his dreams. But he had to face their relatives. And he documented this guilt. He wrote about it. So it was forever a part of Paul's story. But it wasn't his whole story. And that's something that all of us need to hear today, that you long to hear, I need to hear over and over again, no matter how much I know this. But it wasn't Paul's entire story. Listen to what he says. This is found in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. It's an amazing phrase. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This huge phrase, there's no condemnation. I can't change your past, right? There's, there's a space and time. There's an actual past that's, that is neither forgotten, but it's also neither condemning as well. We face it, but we're also able to embrace it. Why? Because of Christ. This is for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are willing to face their guilt. And the very moment where you feel the most condemnation, it's, it, it's, it's, it seems crazy. But in, because of who Christ is, the very moment we feel most condemned is where he meets us with the in most incredible grace and love and actually frees us from it. It's the very act of what we don't want to do. And so Paul helps explain this. He says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. He set you free from the law of sin and death. What's that law of sin and death? When you, when you mess up, when you break that relationship with God or with other people around you or even with your own self, you don't meet your own expectations, you've done actions that you're ashamed of, you can't get out of it. You're stuck. You feel that law. It's leading to your death and to destruction. There's nothing you can do about it to grovel about it or to deny it. That's really our options. Guilt in that moment is the boss of you. But Christ came to free us from the law of sin and death. He continues, says, for what the law was powerless to do. I mean, the law, the only thing to do, like any law, just think of like the federal, state, local, I mean, martial law, like your own laws, all it can do is just condemn and punish. It just brings out our guilt even more. He says, what the law was powerless to do, God did. God did what it couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin 
offering. The law can't take it away. It just shows you that you're guilty. And so Christ came to free us. So at the cross, at his death, Jesus took what you deserved on himself. We call this the beautiful exchange. You in Christ, when you begin to follow him, you get what he deserved, the glory, the righteousness of God to be right standing and to be free. You got what he deserved and he got what you deserved. The condemnation, the shame, the penalty of death. He got took divine condemnation where God poured out his wrath upon him. He got self-condemnation. He got all of it. He took it. So Jesus says to us, come to me. Be honest with who you are. Bring your guilt. You did it. Just admit it to me. You did it. Like you lied to get your own way. You were irresponsible with your body. You knew better. You did these things, but you did it anyway. Let's own it. You're guilty. Because of Christ, he says, you're not condemned. He says, when I see you, I don't see that anymore. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's actually the step toward freedom. The step to freedom for you and I is to admit it. And he's the only one. He's the only one who can actually take it away. And so Paul continues to write here. He says, And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Scriptures say that we become the righteousness of of God, you have been freed. This is the beauty of Christ. It's why you should consider becoming a follower of him, because you are actually forgiven. And so we are guilty, we've done it, but we are no longer condemned. And it changes everything. It changes how you live. It changes how you engage with God. Jesus showed us. He's like, it's not just about these rituals. We try to do these things, and we hope that God is okay with us. And Christ came in to say, no, I've done it once and for all. You were eternally okay with me. And so then we are freed up. We're freed up. Like, I blew it this week. Okay, I can come before God because I'm the righteousness of Him. We stand up based on what He has done for us, not what we've done on our own. He's calling out to us. He says, I want you to get up every time he says, I died for you. I did this so you could get up. And suddenly we can face our guilt, the small guilt and the big guilt. And we could come before a loving Heavenly Father. He says, and we can say, help me walk away from this to actually look at it. You are freed up, and it changes how you engage with God and with others. So there's four things as we end this, this conversation here that I want to walk you through implications of what, what we live like when we're guilty but not condemned, all right? Four things. One is you forfeit the right to condemn yourself. We can let this go. You've been freed up because you are not yours to condemn anymore. You're not your own. Suddenly you have a different boss. Guilt is no longer running your life 
We are Christ. He's the one leading us in freedom. And you could say, I have a boss now. And you can tell guilt this. This no longer is me anymore. I have been forgiven and set free. You're freed up to look at your sin. You have a Savior that will lead you to restoration, toward redemption. You forfeit the right to condemn yourself. It's amazing. I'm going to walk away from those lies. The second one is your guilt will remind you of things. You're not, you're in a, you're, it just, circumstances come up. The emotion comes into your life, but it does not define who you are. You are no longer defined by this. You have been found in Christ. Your past suddenly is a reminder of, the, of your gratitude towards God, of his incredible love and grace for you. We can celebrate the grace of God. It no longer defines your life. The third is you, you forfeit the right to condemn others. It changes how we interact with the world. You know, we're good at sizing people up and being like, oh, and we write them off really quickly. But suddenly we realize, you know what? I'm glad God didn't do that with me. He stepped in and loved me anyway. We can learn to love those that are hard to love. We can forgive the unforgivable and leave it to God, for he promised that he would take care of people who have wronged us. We can trust his goodness because we know that he cares about justice because we've experienced that as well. We learn to stand up against the things, but we don't hate the people. We hate the sin, and we love them. Because we have been loved the same. And that's what leads to us finding grace and the same for them. And the fourth thing is you are free to make restitution. You are free to pursue with others and for yourself. We have new marching orders from a God who's loved us that we can go and forgive. Maybe somebody's waiting for you to make the first move. You've got a relationship or something. Somebody needs to make the move. Because of what God is for us, we can be like, you know what? This, I'm no longer condemned by this. This doesn't define me. I'm going to take a step forward. We find our strength in the amazing God who wants to love us. And we forgive. Part of making restitution is to set someone else free. One of the greatest ways you experience the forgiveness of God is when you forgive others. Guilt is no longer your boss. I want to invite you in this grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your words for us, your love, your grace. We thank you for who you are in our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.